Welcome to Cybersecurity Unplugged, the cyber theory podcast where we explore issues that matter in the world of cybersecurity. Good day, everyone. I'm Steve King, the Director of Cybersecurity Advisory Services here at Cyber Theory. And today's episode is essentially a one-year update since uh, Roger Sells and I were last on the air. Uh, more, actually, because we were discussing the immediate fallout to the solar winds disaster, disaster of the fourth quarter 2020, I think, yep, which is still affecting us. But but we have so much to talk about today, I'm not going to go there. Roger now serves as the vice president of cyber solutions at BlackBerry. Given the state of the global cybersecurity context, I thought today in particular would be a great day to revisit the digital world and the global threat landscape from your point of view, Roger, and as well as from BlackBerry's point of view. So first, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Steve. Always a pleasure to catch up. Glad to be here. Yeah, me too. Uh, so let's start out a little bit by uh, having you help our listeners understand what it is that BlackBerry actually does, because I always think of them as the Wells Fargo Enterprise Communication Device of about 109 years ago. <laughs> Great question. Um, and I'll keep this uh, brief, but um, yeah, sure. People still associate us to our devices, which we've stopped um, manufacturing. I would say about seven or eight years ago now. What essential, um, essentially it boils down to is that back then already at the core, we were known for security, trust, and innovation. That was expressed through the devices that we created. These then created a challenge that, well, now people were roaming around with corporate data on their devices. We need an application to um, prevent that and to set policies. So we introduced and in, well, innovated in this area and brought the uh, mobile device management and then later mobile application management uh, suites. We still have these. So we, we still help um, organizations secure their data, but no longer on our devices. What's quite exciting is that throughout the years, we've um, done a couple of acquisitions. And the best way to describe it is that now, we are focused on two key markets. The first one being cybersecurity. That's the business unit um, I'm uh, representing. And the other one is the IoT market. Let me start by IoT uh, quickly first. So there we have a secure operating system and hypervisor for IoT, uh, mainly being used today in, um, in cars. Um, over 200 million cars are using that. Uh, we have a, a strong partnership with AWS bring what we call IV, the um, intelligent security for the autonomous vehicle of the future. We will be expanding that um, likely into uh, smart cities and, and the like. Then from the cybersecurity business unit point of view, we had that portfolio of BlackBerry products that I just described uh, previously, uh, but we also in 2019 acquired Silence and Silence was a leader in the endpoint uh, protection space, um, was the first company to really adopt AI and machine learning for cybersecurity problems in that space. 
leveraging only uh, AI and machine learning. So there were no signatures, all of that. And um, Silence also had um, a strong team that performed incident response, compromise assessments. Nowadays, we say that we're experts in preparing for breaches, sorry, preventing them, detecting and responding to them. Um, and we can help our clients through all of these phases uh, with either our, our product portfolio or our um, services ecosystem around them. Yeah, okay. Thanks for the update. Roger, one of the things I wanted to clarify going forward here is I think the context matters for our conversation is your current location and uh, operating base that you that you manage and are responsible for the whole cyber world there for BlackBerry a little bit. Sure. So I am based in uh, the United Arab Emirates in Dubai, uh, more precisely. I've been in this region uh, since 2016. Previously, was living in uh, in Abu Dhabi, um, the capital, but yeah, moved to Dubai. The region that I mostly am involved with with is EMEA, though I have some some dealings with with clients and partners in other regions, uh, namely the US and uh, yeah, US federal government uh, entities. Um, or uh, some uh, enterprises in, uh, in 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 APEC, but the main focus is uh, is EMEA. Yeah, and I think that's important because at least folks in my side of the planet, if you will, are always looking at things from a Western point of view. And you've been over there quite some time now. Um, you see things that are only seen from, if you will, the Middle Eastern point of view, and the world. I'm sure looks very different from your lens than it does from from ours or mine over here. And so in that context, you know, how about we the first question for me is, you know, what's next here? It looks like on the you know, on the current uh, global stage we're sort of playing right into Putin's strategy. You know, so my question is kind of like, and I we, we just saw in today's news reporting that, you know, sabers are being rattled, uh, essentially t- tempting the U.S. to respond to a threat that only exists apparently in the U.S.'s mind. So what's China's next move and what's Russia's next move? And from your point of view, how do you, what do you, is this all kabuki theater or is there a real cyber threat here, and 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 do we have it? And is it now time to be very very serious about this? That's a great question, and um, yeah, I'm, I'll gladly share my opinion, but uh, I'll make the caveat that um, I'm I'm not an expert on on geopolitics and, and and diplomacy and all of these things. But what does worry me personally is that uh, while the response to the um, sad and um, shocking situation is is necessary. I'm not 100% sure that crashing the Russian economy is not going to lead to a strengthening of bonds with China. I think we can already see that with China uh, buying some of the quote-unquote abandoned uh, assets uh, for cents on the dollar. Um, so that um, that's going to be, between quotes again, interesting to see how that will play out in the future. With regards to an area of expertise of mine, namely the, the cyber war. I, I would say that 
it has been ongoing quite successfully for the past few years already. And um, there was this great quote by um, NSA director of the cybersecurity uh, directorate, Rob Joyce, who said, well, almost every nation in the world today has a cyber exploitation capability, so has offensive um, capabilities. So looked at it through this lens, I guess for most organizations, the attribution of the threat actor doesn't really matter. I mean, whether you're being targeted by a Russian threat actor, Chinese, let's say um, North Korean, um, Iranian, and so on and so forth, will likely lead to the same outcomes, maybe with different goals, of course. And as this situation continues to heat up, um, we might see something that we haven't seen before, not at least on a widespread scale, is that we move from espionage and IP theft into really disruption or destruction of critical national infrastructure. But then I also kind of wonder if that were to happen, if this would in fact lead to triggering of Article 5 of NATO. So Article 5 is the collective defense doctrine that um, essentially says, well, if one of the uh, member states is attacked, all of us are attacked. They have clarified in the past that Article 5 could be invoked for cyber war. So far, it hasn't happened. And well, we've seen plenty of cyber attacks, um, even attacks that have been attributed to foreign governments. I feel that yeah, triggering that response would probably require the threshold to move up to well, destruction or um, disruption of critical infrastructure. Yeah, and well, at least, you know, it's certainly gotten complicated. And and it looks to me like, uh, you know, with uh, if you look at the sanctions that NATO and uh, Ukraine have participated in almost without their knowledge in a weird way, the banking sanctions against Russia throughout the Middle Eastern European states and countries. It's almost like Putin managed to place the entire emphasis for the bad guy routine away from Russia and onto Ukraine, because they're not the ones, after all, that are sanctioning Russia. With all that going on, and it gets more sort of psychologically complex, as you know, we've seen Biden's response, I think, this week to somebody's interpretation of, uh, of Putin's latest move. I don't know what all this activity is going to lead up to, but it sure it sure predates a uh, some sort of response there. Do you think there's going to be a single event that may spark their entry into cyber with a with an attack, or do you have any insight as to how that might appear? I have a couple of thoughts there. I think first and foremost, and we're already seeing this today, is that because of the war that's ongoing. There's less policing, if you will, and it had already been claimed internationally to be quite weak, that policing of um, cybercrime gangs in, in Russia themselves. And, and a number of them actually publicly came out and said, we support our government, we are against these sanctions, we will retaliate. So this is a first direct consequence of things heating uh, up in, in um, sorry, uh, first consequence leading to a heat up in a cyber war. The second one is that 
international threat actors may also feel that they can mimic some of the tactics of these other groups, conduct false flag operations, as it were, that might um, yeah, become a very slippery slope very quickly. Another element, of course, on the other side is that uh, Ukraine had asked uh, volunteers to try and hack Russian targets. I think at some point I read reports that over hundred, well, hundreds of thousands or more than at least 100,000 volunteers had um, signed up for that, um, that attacks were happening from multiple Western countries. So you could see that at some point, if these attacks continue, the sanctions continue, and especially if the campaign, uh, if you want to call it this, um, uh, the war in, in Russia, uh, I'm sorry, in Ukraine, remains at a standstill, like it pretty much appears to have uh, reached now, yeah, we could see some deflection into cyberspace and um, Russia trying to get some, um, yeah, some success there. But that's all at this stage still still quite speculative. Right. How does all this affect you guys in Dubai and in the in the UAE? Who do you trust these days? Do you just go along and assume it's going to be like it was before, or is there a new layer of sort of zero trust outlook on everything just because the players that you're now engaged with have maybe larger ambitions revealed? Yeah, so here in the country, geopolitics are quite sensitive. I mean, if if you look it up just a few months ago and um, even days ago for Saudi Arabia, there were um, drone and missile attacks that got intercepted. That's been more on people's minds than um, unfortunately what's happening um, in a number of countries away for yeah, very clear reasons. The UAE itself abstained from the UN Council vote and as a country seems to enjoy relatively good relations with Russia, Russians that may find it harder to conduct business elsewhere seem to consider active relocation to the UAE and, and to come here. So um, what that is going to mean on the long term remains to be seen. Now, for us as a company, we conduct some business here, but most of the business that um, also I'm conducting is actually outside of um, the country. And we clearly see concern with a number of, of parties, governments, mid-sized organizations, SMBs, enterprise, uh, mainly in Europe, especially if you go uh, further to Eastern Europe, um, Scandinavia, all of those, there is, there is more active concern. When you look at how the invasion started, there were wiper malware software solutions being deployed um, and, and real damage being inflicted. Um, that also knocked uh, a number of uh, satellites uh, offline from uh, a number of European-based uh, companies. And that seems to have been, let's say, collateral damage in, the, in, in just the invasion. So there is increased concern. We are getting more requests to put up um, or to put in place uh, incident response retainers. So in case an organization has a concern, notices uh, something um, is off, um, they immediately have us on standby, can pick up the phone and the investigation um, and incident response can, can happen immediately. 
Uh, we have a number of other parties that say, well, uh, yes, we, we want to become more resilient. We want to adopt uh, some of the zero trust network principles. Can you help us with that? What's the path forward? So definitely um, there's a, a large uptick in discussions. And then we've had some other interesting situations where when you look at it, the German and Italian governments have actually warned that Kaspersky as an organization might at some point be forced into providing or be abused by the uh, Russian government into uh, providing access into victim organizations. And um, well, I know in the US, the government has already cautioned about this uh, a number of years ago, the UK did as well, but that's now more an issue that's at, at play in, um, in, in some states in Europe. And as such, we get quite a few concerned Kaspersky customers coming to us and saying, well, this is my situation. Can, can you help? Whereas ultimately, um, I also say, well, look, the issue doesn't really seem to be the, the Kaspersky people. But yeah, if they were to get certain uh, requests between quotes again uh, from, from their government, they can only collaborate. And um, yeah, it, it, it's up to each organization to conduct a risk assessment and see uh, if this is something that is of concern to them. Yeah, and it's ironic in the case of Kaspersky because, you know, from my point of view, they're probably the smartest and most capable intelligence company on the planet regarding uh, cybersecurity. And yet, you know, the U.S. government, through a purely political gesture, you know, you know banned all input from Kaspersky into cybersecurity companies a while ago. Too bad. And that brings me, you know, it's kind of hard. Hard to imagine how you just keep on with business as usual. You know, Huawei, for example, is, you know, running around putting on seminars around the world, around the web, you know, how they approach this and that and the other thing. You're welcome to come in and rattle cages and, you know, open up operating systems, internals, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> but, but, you know, there's just, we had, instead, we'd say, we, meaning you know, most of the consuming public here, says we don't trust anything Huawei does. Why would we? It's a Chinese company. They have no controls other than Chinese controls. There are no barriers to pass to get to market. Why would you buy a communication device based upon a proprietary technology developed by a country who's clearly our adversary? So, so how does that affect business? Yeah, I think it, it, again, depends a bit on the geopolitical setting that you find yourself in. Just while you were saying that, and, and to share a perspective, so I'm a, I'm a Belgian national, and um, when the Snowden documents uh, were released is when we, we found out that uh, the NSA and GCHQ at some point had um, hacked Belgacom, uh, or Belgacom International Carrier Services, uh, BICS, um, to allegedly spy on terrorist targets in the Middle East um, because they control satellites and, and all of that. When you really think about that, yeah, my, my national telecom operator was hacked by allies. Uh, so then you start having this different perspective on, okay, but essentially it seems that it's a bit of a free-for-all 
in many ways. Um, so that depiction of certain states as adversaries is, I think, yeah, will 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 change from from region to region. What I noticed, for instance, specifically in the UAE, is that because of a number of things that happened in the past, and and because partnerships and relations can be tenuous at times, they sometimes have a stronger bond to, for instance, China, to, for instance, uh, Russia, or they just hedge their bets and have strong partnerships with all three, so the US, China, and Russia. And it's very interesting as you talk to more people with a, let's say, more global outlook, you get their different perspectives and and, and, and whose adversary becomes a bit more um, more murky in, in many ways. So yeah, um, but coming back to your question, is it business as usual? Look, I um, I think for the moment it it definitely looks like it. But for cyber, there have been a number of really good initiatives that have finally been been pushed through. CISA just uh, made number of um, good recommendations. The SAC updated its uh, risk management framework and proposal uh, where we are seeing more mandatory cyber breach reporting. Even the knowledge of the board of directors has to be disclosed. So whether or not they have experience in cybersecurity. I've said to a colleague and a friend that if COVID was the digital accelerator, then both the events that transpired with SolarWinds and now the actual war with uh, Russia in, in Ukraine are the accelerators from a cyber perspective. Really a call to action. Um, so in this regard, I think uh, many people are um, they're looking at this landscape and saying, okay, we need to bolster our defenses. We need to act now because we are in a very volatile situation. Yeah, which also leads me to wondering about your competitive situation just you know aside from all the geopolitics is how are you guys positioned in the in the market space that you're targeting what do you think the next 6 to 12 months is going to look like there look i think um given that our expertise is um, in planning for preventing of detecting and responding to incidents and that there is widespread concern in the markets, I would be lying if I didn't say that um, this is keeping us well busy. Uh, so demand is, is pretty strong across the board for new um, services and, um, and products. We have, uh, of course, also as a, a company uh, made certain uh, public statements. So you can find a statement by my CEO that we, we pulled back uh, out of Russia and uh, with immediate effect terminated any services, any products that um, would be would have been running there. Yeah, I guess that puts us on the list of uh, potential targets just as much as any other company that has um, abandoned or pulled back out of the Russian uh, market. In terms of the next six to 12 months, yeah, we'll, we'll just continue helping organizations bolster their cyber defenses, um, handle uh, more threats, 
Well, one other capability that um, has been growing, had been growing since SolarWinds, but has been picking up a lot of steam in the past year and continues to do so is our managed detection and response service, where we essentially hunt for uh, advanced threat actors, let's say presence in, in, in systems of clients. Um, yeah, demand for that has been, has been really strong and that's um, definitely an area of focus for us. Yeah, no question about the demand there. What is your, what is your primary differentiation in that space? Well, I think um, the fact that we can and we can and do leverage our own products, which um, utilize uh, AI and, and, and machine learning, help us to provide a um, swifter onboarding process, um, swifter, uh, shorter time to value. Uh, we are able to reduce the number of alerts quite significantly um, and then focus our capability only on attacks of note. I can give you an example. Um, recently, uh, the products were tested by SE Labs somewhat, I don't want to say fortunately because that sounds so wrong, but um, let's say somewhat luckily between quotes uh, still, the three APTs they tested the product on and also competitive products on uh, all happened to be Russia-linked adversaries. And uh, we had 100% detection and prevention score. Um, so that's um, yeah something that's um, been picked up by the market that we can demonstrate in these services. That gives our clients a lot of confidence that um, uh, the, the team has the experience necessary to detect these top of the pyramid uh, nation state adversary attacks um, and deal with them swiftly before they uh, they can they can cause any um, harm or damage. Yeah, now I haven't heard that story or read it anywhere. So you know it's interesting. Uh, you, you guys have have so many advantages. I mean, you're you come from a huge heritage. You're a big company. You're well known in a lot of spaces. You took advantage of prior expertise and ratcheted it up multiple times in the in the past. You should be, you know, in my estimation, thought of as one of the market leaders in the space. Yet I don't get that sense at all from what I read, what I see, any promotional material, any any promotional events, any any brand story that ties who it is that BlackBerry is to this huge defense and protect opportunity that we all see on the that's been on the horizon for a long time here. I, I understand that feedback. I think internally, we recognize that there have been some, let's say, challenges. Uh, we've, we've been busy with the integration of silence, not only into our business, but into our product portfolio. Yeah, we, we did a rebranding of certain products that might have appeared somewhat confusing to the market. I know that in the next few weeks, we're going to, um, to announce a couple of changes there um, that are going to, um, to bring back more clarity. We definitely strengthened our leadership team um, in the past few months. We um, now have, um, as a president of the um, cyber, cyber business, um, John Giamatteo, who was the president and CRO of McAfee. We brought on some other former McAfee uh, executives 
And uh, we just today had our first day of sales kickoff. Yeah, I have a sense that a number of these problems that you elicit are going to be overcome this year. I'm very excited about that. Well, great. I hope that's true. And I hope uh, at some point we, we, we also get a shot at, uh, at getting our hands around your brand story, because with silence and with your history and uh, what's going on in the, on the market opportunity side, there's just so much, uh, so much of a, a ripe uh, field here to plow. Definitely, definitely. Um, I think there are many opportunities in, in, in this regard, and um, yeah, I'll, I'll connect you to the uh, relevant people. Yeah, 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 sure. Well, you, you, you and I know each other quite well. You know what we do and who we do it for and all the rest of that. So, I'll, you know, if it, if it shows up as the right thing for you guys to do, then by all means. But uh, I, I just love a great story, and you guys have a great story. It's totally untapped, and so you can almost be guaranteed that you're not going to screw anything up there. Roger, listen, I realize we're like uh, 10 minutes or so over. It was another cool conversation a year later. And I hope that uh, in the next six months or, or so, we can have a, you know, maybe a little more optimistic conversation about the future here and be done with all of this kind of, you know, emperor nonsense that we wandered into. It appears, it appears like... Here we were, you know, going about our daily business, and then all of a sudden we got a couple of clowns that are uh, trying to yank the world's chains, and so far doing a pretty good job of it. So that's very concerning, and I want to get done with this as quickly as possible. I fully echo that sentiment, and I hope, in a way, cooler heads will prevail. I think um, everybody wants to see this come to an end, uh, to some diplomatic uh, or peaceful resolution as soon as possible. In terms of the cyberspace, I am more optimistic than I was a year ago because we're seeing um, some great international reform. We're finally seeing organizations as well as governments take concrete action. I'm reminded of our chat we had about SolarWinds, and you asked me, well, what are a number of measures that can be taken? And we, we discussed breach reporting, we discussed the uh, SBAL, we discussed the compromise assessment, and, and most of these things are finally coming to fruition. So I think, um, yeah, while, while we may be less optimistic about world events, let's at least end on an optimistic note for um, our cyber domain, and um, yeah, hope that the rest blows over soon. Yeah, well, I'm... Uh eternally optimistic so no problem from my side i'm always hoping for the better so anyway thanks for taking the time out I, i'm sure our audience has enjoyed this as it did the last time and we'll continue on um i'm sure so thanks again for joining me on thanks again for having me. your schedule thank you steve thank you again for having me have a great sure. day stay safe take care roger take care you too Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cybersecurity Unplugged. You can connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook at Cyber Theory, or send us an email at social at cybertheory.io. For more information about the podcast, visit cybertheory.io forward slash podcast. 
Until next week, thanks again. <laughs>